Welcome to Girl Power Pod, the podcast to inspire and motivate women to feel empowered to pursue their dreams. In this episode, I talk to Dale Clearbird that holds over 20 years of recruitment experience. She's the CEO and co-founder of Weirdly, and she's living right on the forefront of innovation in the recruitment industry, finding ways to harness machine learning, AI, and predictive analytics when it comes to recruitment. In this episode, we talked about how she believes people are the key to unlock through business success, the benefits of having a business partner, and how the workplace is changing. for meeting up with me and taking your time for doing this. Could you please let our listeners know a bit about who you are and your background? I'm the CEO and founder of a piece of HR tech called Weirdly and I've been um, one of four founders uh, so it's a unique story for us um, with having four founders and we're 50% female founded and uh, we also have 50% of our staff as being female as well. Actually we're slightly over which is cool right now. Um, my background actually is mostly from a recruitment agency so I have been in the recruitment or HR industry for the past 20 years possibly a little bit longer than that but that starts to tell you how old I am uh, it's, and it's something that I fell into and I fell in love with. I love people and the, which is why I've stayed in the industry. Uh, the exciting opportunity for me was from moving from a services based aspect uh, from the recruitment agency side, the internal recruitment side and then finding an actual product to sell as opposed to a service which was the transition into Weirdly and that's four and a half years ago, just about five. That's pretty cool. Yeah, no, I love it. <laughs> love working for myself and starting my own business. It's been amazing. So on your LinkedIn profile, I can read that your passion lies in developing people and teams to achieve more than they thought possible while challenging traditional business structure and methods. Can you let me know how Weirdly um, supports this and where the idea for Weirdly came from, from the beginning? Well, the way that we came up with the concept for Weirdly um, was... I have another small business uh, called uh, Talent Magnet, which is a small recruitment agency, and I was dealing with uh, customers and servicing those customers, and they were asking questions like, why can you recruit for my business better than I can? Why is it, I mean, I know my, they, they talk about their own business, they, they created it, they built it, why are they not recruiting people the right way? And I would say, well, as a recruitment consultant, I have been recruiting across hundreds, maybe even thousands of businesses, and I'm meeting hundreds and thousands of people all the time. So in the 20 years I've been doing that, I've amassed all of this experience and understanding and insight on how to read people. 
And so when they asked me that question and I said, well, I know how to get people to uh, take their interview uniforms off. Because if you think about an interview or recruitment situation, when people come in, they are saying what you want them to hear and you're also promoting your own organisation and saying all the wonderful things about it. But there's some stuff in between there that's actually the real magic. It's the uniqueness that an organisation has about uh, with their culture, with their values, with the way they do business. And there's a uniqueness in every single person in the world as well. And finding a way to, to match those two pieces together was kind of how we got on the journey with Weirdly. And these customers were saying to us, you know, why can you recruit better? And we went through a process and I thought, I think there's something here. And so I, a few of us got together, which are the four founders, uh, and had a chat and talked through these experiences and the feedback that we're getting and realising that the recruitment process is a bit broken. How can we fix that? We can ask the right questions and so on. And we came up with a prototype, which wasn't called Weirdly. It had a different name. <laughs> it was called the Culture Tool because we didn't know what we were going to call the company because we were still testing the concept. And so we knew that it was measuring culture because we realised that there's some synergy there between um, what an organisation is about and what a person is about, and it's an alignment of values often. And so we found a way to do that, and that's how we started off. And one of our first customers, which was Juicy Rentals, um, Tim Alp, he said, if you can build a product that will reduce the risk of me hiring the wrong person, hiring a person that doesn't align with my values, then I'll buy it. And um, so he or his organized, his company was our first customer and is still a customer of ours today. That's really cool. So you have obviously lived up to his expectations. Well, yes, it seems. Yeah, it's been cool. I mean, that's four, over four years, coming up five years now. So really cool. So you briefly mentioned that you guys are four business partners. Normally when you start up a business, you might be one or two owners. Um, what would you say some of the benefits and or maybe challenges of uh, being four business owners? Well, starting with the benefits, uh, the wonderful thing about the four of us is that we're all very different. Um, uh, we come from different backgrounds. Two of us have recruitment backgrounds. Two of us have never worked in that industry at all. Um, they uh, come from a innovation, futurist, digital strategy, brand strategy background, whereas Simon and myself come from recruitment. And so that's really valuable. I think if, if only recruitment-minded people had built our product, that it wouldn't be the product that it is today. Um, it's grown and evolved in a way that means that we have considered lots of different points of view, not just from the point of view of a recruiter or a human resources brain, which has meant it's been a lot better. Uh, some of the downsides, I guess, is trying to get everyone together in one room can be a challenge. We all have different responsibilities and lives outside of work, and we're not always all in the office at the same time. Uh, so when we have to make a big decision, that can be a real challenge. Um, but there are lots of pieces of technology that help with that, with Slack and um, other online tools that we use to try and help that to happen. Uh, sometimes it can slow down decision making, but sometimes slowing down is probably the best thing when you're making big decisions anyway. So, yeah. Running your own business is tough work, that's for sure. It never comes easy and the sound of it. And um, Has there been a moment where you have questioned why you do what you do or... 
Oh, yes, every single day. You know, there are up times and there are down times. And what's interesting is the journey when you take the leap for the first year, you think at the end of that year that you know really what it's like now. You started off with rose-tinted glasses, and at the end of that year, you're like, oh, yeah, it's really hard. Um, And then the next year, you go, oh, I didn't know what I was talking about last year. It's actually way harder than I thought. And it continues like that. And that's because with every year that you're in business, and even every day, you learn something new about yourself and about how to grow a business that you didn't know and sometimes that comes from making a mistake so that's a bit suckful that's not fun and sometimes it's from a win which you just couldn't even imagine was possible two years ago but you have to be committed to the to, to that long-term uh, emotional uh, and personal development that you're going to experience because there are a lot of hard days mm, right so what so what is it that keeps you going when you just feel like you want to give up and you don't want to do this anymore or you just feel like, ah, I just want to throw the towel in. This is one of the other benefits of having four founders is because we're not all down at the same time and we're not all up at the same time. So if I'm having a bad day, then the one, the person sitting next to me is probably having a great day and they'll bring me back up. Um, also the wins. So it's actually quite crazy when you consider we're a New Zealand based organisation that started to build something that hadn't existed before and we're selling to organisations that you just read about in the news which is just so cool and when you get one of those and they may be few and far between initially when you get one of those it just it just it's like you forget completely that the bad days even happened (laughs) you could be sitting there looking how are we going to get through tomorrow how are we going to afford to pay for tomorrow and then something happens and it just changes straight away. So weirdly helps companies find the perfect fit for their future employees, that's right. Not based on their skills, but maybe on the personal type. How does that work and what is the benefit of looking at personality types or um, the personal fit before looking at the skill set that the person has? It's actually more, not just, not not really personality it's about an alignment of values purpose and goals so if we consider a situation when someone's choosing to work for an organization the way that they make that decision now is based on things other than what we call tangible benefits it's not just based on money it can be based on career but one of the things that has really changed is there are people that are choosing where to work based on the principles and values of an organization and I mean if an organization is investing in fossil fuels and the person that's applying for that that job doesn't agree with that, then they're not going to work there. Money won't make a difference. So it's finding the essence of that around organisations and trying to match those two things together between a person and an organisation. I see. So you kind of customise it for each organisation based on the values. A hundred percent. Every single one of our quizzes that we create that is customised is according to a specific organisation <laughs> because it's not... The difference with personality assessments is it's telling you about who you are as a person, whereas what we're talking about is uh, by answering these questions, you'll find out whether or not you're aligned with this organisation mm-hmm. and whether they're aligned with you. That sounds awesome, like something that could be really helpful. So being good at your work gives you a sense of achievement, which is a key ingredient to um, to live a happy life or have feel life satisfaction. How do you find out what you are 
good at <laughs> by <laughs> by doing the wrong thing or by making mistakes. <laughs> That's often the way you find out. Um, and I do think it is a journey in that you don't know at the beginning what you're good at or everything that you're good at because you haven't experienced everything. Mm-hmm. And I think that entrepreneurship or starting up your own organisational company is the as a fast-forward version of some kind of degree that you're going to get in life and learning about what's possible because you just don't know. When we started, we didn't know what it meant. We didn't know the lingo that everybody uses. We didn't know how to raise capital. We didn't know what the, the acronyms and the words that meant that, were, that, that, that those things meant. And now, two or three years later, I'm an expert in that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know I was going to be good. At first, I didn't. I thought, this is crazy. I'm never going to make it. And then three years later, I understand it. Yeah. You just don't no, you've got to take the leap and the risk to find out what you're good at. So how would you encourage your friend or someone out there to put themselves out there to take risk and build on their confidence? I don't know. I, find, I do find that hard. It's hard for me, I guess, personally, because I don't necessarily have low self-esteem. But uh, in fact, sometimes I'm overconfident, uh, even when I've never done something before because I just want to take the risk and I like the thrill of it. But as far as giving advice or ideas around how to push yourself uh, and see what's possible, I think there's an opportunity for us to share as many stories as we can in our community about people who didn't think they could do something and they did. And one of the wonderful things about the New Zealand ecosystem is everyone that I've ever met is always prepared to have a coffee with you and talk through their own personal experiences. And I think you'll be seeing a lot of um, stories actually or starting to be shared now in a way that they weren't with the likes of Medium and I don't know if you've been looking at Janine Cross's stories mm-hmm. and there's some wonderful uh, female ambassadors and leaders out there that we can follow yeah. and they all have a story and their stories are all very different and I think that there's a way for all women out there to be able to relate to some part of those. Talking about career, lots of people say that you should find your passion and that's what you should be working with. But just because you're passionate about something, um, it doesn't have to mean that that's what you're good at. What's your thoughts on that? And should you follow your passion or do you think that it's better to do what you're good at um, but might not be your passion? I don't know. That's such an interesting question. I'm hearing two schools of thought on that quite regularly. I think it depends on what it is that you're wanting to achieve. If you want to make lots of money and get financial security uh, and you want to do that in a fixed time period, then I guess you need to look at the strengths you have and and measure that against the opportunity of taking a risk. Uh, It really varies on the age and stage you're at and and what's happening at the the time. But I do hear amazing success stories about people who are passionate about travel and then they become travel bloggers and there is that kind of thing to look at. But it's, it's hard to find that. I think it's hard to decide which of those to do, to be honest. I, I don't know if I have an answer for that. That's perfect. That is one way or the other. Because I see great examples of both. So talking a bit about the future of work, in five years' time, what do you think businesses have to do to attract new talents? Oh, that's a big question. There are lots of things um, because the world is changing so quickly. But I think... The one that I'm most passionate about is understanding what matters to people and what's going to matter to people even more in in five years' time and organisations being able to meet that market. And so what I mean by that is when we talk about flexible work arrangements, 
and I don't think that that is something that's specific to just females. I think it's to everybody, and I think we need to be broader in our way of thinking about that. So I think that there are some amazing organisations out there, like um, Bumble, have you heard of them? Mm. So if you look at how diverse they are and how women-led they are and all of their principles and the kind of benefits that they're offering people who want to start with them that really support females because they're wanting to ensure that they have that really good diversity mix... And so that's really good, and I think that we need to see more of that. I think we need to be looking at uh, opportunities for people to take sabbaticals and to write books and to do training and to start with you and stop with you and start with you and have multiple contracts. Not this long-term commitment in one job for 10 years. That's just not going to happen. And this ability to work remotely, there are challenges with that, and we've got a nearly 80% remote workforce and there are challenges but the benefits so far outweigh those and seeing large corporate traditional organisations embracing that more is going to mean that they're going to survive in the next five years if they don't all of those people those wonderful people that have those flexible arrangements that enable them to to realise their full potential and to work at their best those people will go somewhere else Mm. and it's happening already Mm, that's right so there's been a lot of talking about gig economy this year, I think. How do you think recruitment will change um, with the, the gig economy playing a bigger role in the future of work? And what's what's your view on that? Yeah, the business structure itself has to change. If we just look at workforce planning and workforce management tools and the way that people work out how they make money, so when we're talking about organisations and where they're looking at their um, profit and how what how do I get that? I achieve that by this many man hours, by this many people who sit in an office and work that way. They've got to find a different way of looking at the resources that they have and the way that the world is structured. You're no longer burdened by your country's border. You can hire anyone anywhere in the world. You can have people working on your business 24 hours a day in different places, not just from 9 to 5, Monday to Friday, in one time zone. And so if people can start looking at their business structures and working out how they can harness the power of that, uh, I think that they're going to be better set up for the rest of, you know, for the future. And the gig economy, what I love about it is the opportunity to perhaps even reduce bias um, across different uh, people. So I know that bias gets talked a lot around uh, gender and ethnicity, but we've also got ageism to consider and people who are going into early retirement who might also be able to participate in the gig economy. Mm. Um, People who might have disabilities that can't make it into the office and that's harder for them, Mm. they can work from home. There's so much opportunity to consider what the gig gig economy can bring to an organisation. Change your structure. (laughs) uh, Gender and ethnicity, but we've also got ageism to consider and people who are going into early retirement who might also be able to participate in the gig economy. Mm. Um, People who might have disabilities that can't make it into the office and that's harder for them, Mm. they can work from home. There's so much opportunity to consider what the gig gig economy can bring to an organisation. Change your structure. (laughs) Yeah, interesting. With the new generation growing up now as well that doesn't find distance or different time zones as a problem when it comes to work. I guess gig economy might just be um, one of the big changes that we see in today's work. Um, And another one is probably um, the fear of robots taking over our work. And what's your view on that? And do you think that robots will actually 
take over all work in the future? No. <laughs> uh, I think that uh, there's going to be an opportunity uh, to see how well um, humans work with robots and what does a robot even look like and does it look like what we think we saw in all the science fiction movies? Maybe not. I mean, there's a lot of it actually already happening and we just don't even realise. Mm-hmm. I think the opportunity is there's going to be some um, amazing new jobs and careers created as a result of some of the um, low-skills uh, work being taken uh, by robots. Isn't it quite funny how you read about how robots are going to take over our jobs and you know the fear that people have that it's going to happen? But it's actually probably the opposite of creating more work opportunities when we don't have to do those tasks that robots actually can do for us instead. It's crazy. <laughs> People are just uh, a little bit scared, but that's because of lack of knowledge and understanding. Whereas uh, for people like us who are working in the technology sector all the time, it doesn't feel so alien or different. We've been evolving and working that way for a long time. But I understand where people haven't accessed that knowledge the same way we do. We live in a bit of a bubble, I suppose, yeah. When it comes to women in the workforce and equality, What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that we've got a a journey still to go on as far as full um, equality goes across those areas. I think that I've been on a journey myself. I've been lucky in my career and work history. I've always been in senior roles and management, running organisations and businesses. I haven't necessarily felt some of those uh, challenges that other women have. But what I've realised now that I've been in a technology sector over the last five years is I, I feel it now and I understand how that can happen. My ideal is just the best person is always there, whoever that might be. But I think that it's about visibility and um, seeing more women in those places and maybe the solution to that is quotas. I wasn't always aligned with that, but I've been watching... different places try to even everything out and it still isn't there so if quotas is what it's going to take then I would back that Uh, I just hope that there are other ways that we can do it as well Um, but it's when you get there and you get to those top roles and you're on boards or you're in a senior management team and you're the only one or you're the minority it's hard and that leads us straight into inclusion because the challenge I have with quotas which is why I'm 50-50 is it's all very well increasing the number of people coming in that uh, might be from minority groups or disadvantaged groups uh, but once those people are in an environment which isn't inclusive of the differences that they're going to bring that can just bring real challenges that people aren't even talking about enough yet mm. I think inclusion is almost the thing that we need to look at first so that we're ready for when we're able to equal up the rank mm, interesting So digital platforms have transformed the way that people date today and the world we do shopping, the way we travel and the way we consume entertainment and so on. Um, How do you think that leadership and managing talents will change in the future? Well, I guess this leads back to a question that you asked earlier around what the future of work's going to look like. I mean, the, the and I guess the story from me right now is when I think about how I used to manage people when I worked with a recruitment agency versus how I re- um, manage people now, it is really different. And I came from a meetings a sort of work history. Everything was meetings. You had meetings about everything and it was face-to-face meetings mm-hmm. and phone was the last resort and um, email was sort of not even 
given the way to have it uh, get a decision made. And now with a remote workforce, everything is happening on Slack. I might only have face-to-face time with my people once a week if I'm lucky. If I'm traveling, it might be once a fortnight. So that's shifted everything. Mm. What we, uh, and if anything, it's improved the amount of communication because instead of just focusing all of the energy on one meeting time at a, at a time, yeah. we can be making micro decisions all the time that get us to a solution much faster. Yeah. So rather than waiting until next week to decide that, we can decide it a little bit if over the next couple of days and we can communicate and collaborate way more than we've ever been able to. Instead of one person running the meeting, everybody can collaborate and be engaged at the same level. So I think when we're thinking about managing people that we've got this opportunity now with the technology that we've got to really can t- keep that hierarchy flat. Yeah, yeah. Because really. And make people feel more engaged and involved and attached to whatever the goal is of the organisation and understand the role that they play because platforms are giving everyone a voice. Mm. Not just people like me who are extreme extroverts who talk all the time. There are some people out there that don't talk all the time but they've got an amazing amount to add and they wouldn't get that opportunity in the way we used to manage. Yeah, that's so true. The culture had almost been that, you know, you have to have a meeting to plan for the next meeting. And, but now there is all those tools and opportunities to communicate instead that you don't really need to have all those inefficient meetings at all. So what would you say is the biggest benefit of being a woman and a business owner? I find sometimes questions, and I'm just going to say this, I find questions asking specifically about women and in general difficult because I feel like people don't ask men what it's like to be a man in business. <laughs> yes, that's very true. <laughs> yeah, and so I think I don't, I, so I, I understand the reason for it, um, but it sometimes makes me feel like uncomfortable. Um, as a female in the tech sector, you know, I'm a minority and often on panels I get asked questions about balance and things mm-hmm. like that that whereas men don't get asked those questions um, but I think for me I mean I'm a mother I've had um, I've got two and a half children meaning that I have a stepson also and I worked the way all through my pregnancies I went back to work very very early I feel like I'm incredible at managing lots and lots of things is that because I was a mother and working full-time in a really big job at the same time I don't know I don't know if it's that or the fact that that's just my personality mm. Um, When we're looking at investment opportunities, we know that women-led businesses are not invested in as much and they don't get as much capital as others. However, we are also seeing um, funds that are specifically only for female-led businesses. So there is this pendulum swinging, which means that... uh, I'm lucky now, whereas women in the past may not have been because of this opportunity that they're creating to try and balance that out at equality. So that might be a benefit. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think about it that much. (laughs) So what's your top three tips to someone who got a great business idea and wants to do something with it? My, 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 I don't know them off the top of my head. I'm just going to work them out. I've got lots. I mean, one thing I would say to anybody who is wanting to start a business is don't do it alone. Um, I I find people that uh, start their business alone amazing, but I couldn't do that. Because of the reasons we spoke about earlier, there are hard times and there are easy times and you need someone to keep you going and to share the load. So that would be my number one when you're about to take that leap. 
um, and when you do find that person or those people, uh, ensure that those people have strengths that you do not, and they like to do things that you don't like doing. How do you find those people? I kind of knew, but it happened as a sort of happy accident as well. I wanted to... We wanted to reach out to some people that were different from us and um, could give some objectivity to a concept or idea or a feeling, really, because they turned it into an idea, to be honest. Uh, and they just were coming from a different part of life for, from, from us. And we just said, hey, do you want to do some brainstorming? And they did. And then we went through a process and we ended up with something really great. But mm. I, my natural instinct, whenever I have a problem or a challenge or an idea, is to go and speak to as many people as I can. And that's what we did when we the basic concept for Weirdly. I just went out, I was meeting about 10, 20 people a week and just asking for their advice and their feedback. And you meet people who can get very interested in your idea. And so through that, or they might be friends or they might be people that you've heard about or you've been in business with before. Usually they're people that have to get pretty excited about the idea, the same idea as you. That's a great advice, I think, to, to talk to as many people as possible about your idea and not keeping it as a secret. Kind of like validate it as you go. Oh, as many as you like. And everyone in New Zealand loves to tell you their opinion. They love it. <laughs> Can you give me, I'll buy you a coffee. Yeah, yeah, I love to give you opinions. They love it. And that's wonderful and really useful. And then the second thing would be activity. Once you've started, um, don't stop. And that, so even if you get up and you make one phone call and you were supposed to make 10, as long as you made one, but a day that works, but if you make none in a day, you just start going backwards fast. So always do something, even when it's hard. And then the third thing is, oh, it's so hard to get it down to three. <laughs> That's okay. We can have five more if you want. Oh, yeah, yeah, but it's just, I, I don't like talking about money because we took a big risk with the money that we had to start with. But I would say whatever happens, it's going to cost you more and take you longer than you think. <laughs> I guess it's like... If you look on building a house, it will take you more time and it will cost more than you originally thought it would. Oh, always, yeah. Yes, exactly. Except for you get to see the results of a house come through a lot faster than perhaps you might see with your own business. But, yeah, yeah, sometimes. Those those are, I guess, my top three. My top three. Oh, and then one more, and that is you've got to look after your health. Uh, because there are times like right now we're working in a sprint and I'm working, well, lots of the team, we're working, you know, easily 12, sometimes way more than that hours a day. And uh, you've got to look after yourself because you can't sustain the distance otherwise because it's going to, like I said, it's going to take you so much longer than you think. So you need to be able to last the distance. So how do you recharge and look after yourself? Sleep is number one, sleep. Uh, that's my personal one. If I don't get enough sleep, then nothing else can be fixed. Um, uh, the second one for me is exercise. I don't, I'd love to do a lot more, but I commit to doing some every day, no matter what it is, so long as it's something, because it seems to balance out my mind and give my mind some, some rest. And then um, also know when to just chill out and relax. I got asked this question on a podcast the other day and I thought of the answer afterwards. And they said, what do you do to unwind and relax? I'm not a big drinker, so it's not that. I actually, and this is really embarrassing, I binge watched something on Netflix. <laughs> it's so bad. But I will just, it's something where I guess I'm in a closed space. I'm not looking at my computer. I, I sort of get zoned in and I commit myself and go, That's, this is my rest and I do that. It's taking that little thing, of, it's something that's completely separate from what you're doing. That's what you've got to do because if you're always immersed, it's very easy to be completely addicted to just everything to do with your industry. You've got blogs coming through and articles and you're listening to podcasts and 
you'd never stop. But you have to do something that's completely separate. Being a business owner is a lot of hard work, as most people who run their own business would know. And it sounds like you are quite a hard worker too. So has there been any um, times in your life where you felt that you've been on the edge of actually getting burned out? Yes, yes. A couple of times. Uh, lot, you know, fairly often at times, but there have been two particular times, and one of those times happened this year. And it was a big call for me. Um, I have an autoimmune disease and rheumatoid arthritis, which I manage very well, but if I don't sleep properly and I don't eat properly and I'm stressed out as well, then I can have some negative uh, upsets. It wasn't totally uh, terrible, I could have kept on working, but I made this decision with a friend of mine to go to Phuket to a health camp for 11 days. And it was incredible. It made such an impact and it meant that by giving myself that time, which was probably, to be honest, the first holiday I've had at that time in four years, <laughs> of any of that length and outside of the country and on my own without my family, it was quite hard. Um, but I went and I did that and it, it's enabled me to keep on going and it's also given me the habits that I needed to form uh, around looking after myself. So I know that if I do this, I'll reset and then I can keep on going. So that's when you learn that you need a lot of sleep to feel well. Oh, yes, yes. And it takes you days before you realise what yeah. the benefits are. I mean, I was on a juice diet, so that helped too. And <laughs> there was no, I wasn't watching television or anything, but it was, it was so a time when you actually have to listen yeah. to your body yeah. because, yeah, yeah, it's not fun. You might start making mistakes and you just don't want to do that. And also you have a responsibility to your team and to your family to look after yourself because mm. there's no point you burning out and not being there afterwards, you know. Tell me, how did you come to that realisation? I find it that you normally not notice it yourself. Like it might be, um, was one of your partners in your business who said like, hey Dale, it's time to take a holiday, you need it. I had an opportunity cross my path and I went, oh, you know what, I want to say yes to this, which was to go with a friend because I would never have done it on my own because it's a big call. I've never done anything like that before. And I felt like I had to ask permission from everybody because I was spending money, because it cost money, and it was like money we didn't necessarily have. But it, my, my health was, it, it had to come as a priority. And I'm a much better person since then. And that's March this year, so it's over six months ago. And the, by asking permission from my partner, which I didn't need to, but I felt like I needed people to tell me that it's okay to go. And I even right up to the moment, I'm like, I just still don't know. I'm still going to log into my emails every day. But over a couple of days, the support I had from the team to let me have that time mm -hmm. was fine. And guess what? The world did not end while I was away. <laughs> so that was a big thing to learn as well. You know, you're not actually that, you know, you're important, but the world will go on. Yeah. Life goes on. <laughs> you can still be replaceable and no one dies. Yeah, exactly. Everyone is, a re is, is replaceable, but I didn't think about it in the negative sense. I went, wow, you know what? This is good. Yeah. You know, and I need to lead by example also. You know, if I never take time out, then other people might not be able to, and I wouldn't want that. Great. So everyone listening, look after yourself and listen to your body. So what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Save more money, definitely. Um, travel a lot more. <laughs> I hadn't travelled at that point. And um, I wish that I'd started my own business earlier. So I started my first business when I was 
33, somewhere around that age, and I wish that I'd started something when I was 20. I really do. And failed and started again and failed, whatever, just to get some of the experience that I now have, which I've gained in the last, say, four or five years. I wish I'd had that in my 20s. Imagine what I would have done by now. <laughs> That's what I always think. And my message to anyone this, when at that age is don't go to university, start your own business. But that's a bit controversial. <laughs> oh, yes. Like, it will be quite interesting to see what will happen with education in the future since a lot of the things that is happening um, with it already. I mean, going to university is not a must anymore. You don't need to go to uni to get a, a great job. Most of the things they actually learn in university might be quite out of date as well. Oh, everything is out of date so quickly. I think there's real value in practical qualifications where you're on the job, apprenticeships, yeah. or short courses, and then you put it into practice and then maybe come back. But I find sometimes that the longer term, and I'm generalising, but some of the longer term degrees or tertiary education opportunities, um, yeah, they're out of date by the time you've finished. That's so true. So what advice would you give um, your 30-year-old self? That person, I slow down um, and look after yourself more because that's probably when I wasn't the most. Um, I was working very, very hard uh, and putting too many expectations on myself. That's when I was having my children and um, leaving a very big job, starting my, just a lot happening all at the same time and a bit of burning the candle at both ends, which has unfortunately meant that I've got this autoimmune disease now because my body was under so much stress and strain. If I could go back, I would change that because I wouldn't wish it on anyone, but uh, that would be my number one because life... You think you need to do everything all at once, and you yeah. don't. That's so true in today's world. You think you need to achieve everything at the same time, because that's what you, if you look around yourself, that's how it feels like everyone else is doing. You know, they're having, having kids, they're having a house, they're having a business, they're having you know, a successful career, and everything is happening at the same period of your life. While there will be periods in your life while you actually have to focus on different things and that's okay too so you don't have to run in 120 you know there's a time for everything in your life well, yeah everything feels so intense if I if I don't do it now I'm going to miss out that's actually not necessarily true so I've learned that as I've as I've matured and got old yes that's very true what's the biggest wisdom you have taken with you from your career and from running your own business except slowing down a bit. Oh, I mean, this again reflects back to your other question. I've learned that I am, <laughs> it's kind of contradictory, I'm capable of an enormous amount. I was really lucky early on in my career to be given an opportunity, which was my first really big job with an, uh, an agency called Madison Recruitment. And when I reflect back on that time, I was very lucky. I had two very strong female leaders uh, who owned the business. And I kept saying, oh, can I do something else? Can I do more? And they just kept giving me more and more and more and more. And I started... At the bottom of that business, and by the end of it, I was the COO after sort of nine years. And I didn't know that that wasn't a plan. That was just if someone asks you to do something, have a go at it. And, and, and I kept delivering, and so I kept getting given more, and I've continued to do that my whole life. Um, after I left that organisation, I started my own business and started doing that, and then I started another business at the same time, which is weirdly with some other people. And we've accomplished a great deal. Uh, we would love to be doing better, but my goodness, who would have thought that I would be spending most of my time in another country on my own trying to grow a business and the sales over there? And who would have thought that five years after we started that we would have 12 people in three different countries, customers all around the world globally, people coming to us 
um, and asking for our services. You couldn't imagine that happening on the day that you decide to start your business. Mm. So you mentioned that you guys got offices in other countries as well. But what's the reason for that? Was that a question that came from from organizations overseas or was it just that you guys had that in one of your business objectives to go to other countries as well? It's a little bit of both, but mostly um, it's about us deciding to do it. And the reason for that is that New Zealand is such a small market to scale a business in. There aren't enough customers and not enough people here to grow a business. So the wonderful thing about New Zealand businesses, particularly tech companies, is they need to go global from day one because you just don't have the market here. So you're already looking at who can I, get, who can my first customer be in another country? And it's easy to go to Australia. Well, not easy, but that's the, the natural choice. Uh, and so we've gone there and done a little bit there and then we've taken a big leap to go straight to the US. The US is the hardest, one of the hardest markets to crack but every dollar of sales that you make there is worth at least four out of say Europe or the rest of the world so we've gone straight for the big ticket item <laughs> and we'll see how that goes but once we get a, an organisation of the scale that we want there, we've got a few in, the, in play, once we've got that that's going to help us, it'll be easier to get the rest yeah. of the world but we absolutely had to go global from day one yeah. all, New, all New Zealand businesses that want to grow need to do that Do you have any memory of a woman in your life that had influenced you in in a way that made you that made a great impact on you or um, and a great impact on where you are today as a person? People that I know personally? Yeah, people that you know personally. Yeah, yeah. tons, tons and tons. <laughs> um, but I'll talk about I so I mentioned the two really strong female leaders mm. that um, I worked for at Madison who owned that and that is Marissa Fong and Winnis Armour and it's one of those things that at the time you you realise but only later on do you realise how much of an impact that they had uh, and because without them I don't think I'd be who I am today and as confident in what I do and or as in love with people and the recruitment sector as, as I could have been without them because I fell into recruitment really and they just showed me that absolutely anything was possible. When we were in that business, it was small at the time. They were taking leaps and going for big, large, huge contracts um, where we were the smallest player, but we would win those contracts because of the quality of what we did, because of how good we were with delivery, because of the people that we had in the organisation, because of the culture of that organisation. That's what made us amazing. They attracted great people and delivered amazing results. So I had that, I was lucky enough to have that journey for nine years. And then obviously there's my mother and um, the history of my parents and where my mother's come from and what my family, my parents have achieved. Um, But my mother is one of those people that never gives up on anything, ever. And she brought up my sister and I, when I look back, we were feminists, but we didn't know it. There was literally nothing that I thought I couldn't do. And I didn't see the gender gap at all, because I could do and climb trees and do everything just as good as any guy. I mean, I'm very, very tall, so that helps as well. But I just look back and there was just no opportunity. It would, I guess it's that same situation where you get asked to do something and you don't realise that perhaps this is a point where you could say no. I was just like, oh, yes, of course. And I was doing everything. And that followed me all the way through my life. And without her doing that, I don't know where I'd be. You know, when I look at other people um, or other other females, they may not have had that kind of role model. 
and um, she t my parents came from not very much and have achieved a great deal together. Um, but my mother taught me so much. Yeah, I mean, I can, I'm very good at cooking, but I'm also a love sport and that's what I've, I've done a lot of. And I'm a leader and I've been a leader all my life and I've tried all sorts of things that I didn't think was unusual, but when I look back, perhaps it was. <laughs> but it's given me that confidence and I would never have had that without her. That's amazing. Do you have any quotes that you live by? Nothing good is ever easy. So um, when something's really difficult, this is what helps get me through sometimes. Um, when you're going through a really tough time, you know that it must be worth it because it feels so hard. That's kind of something that we tell ourselves in the business all the time. And uh, we have the joke, which is the one, which is it's always darkest before the dawn. So you do have these bad days when you think that there's no way that we can keep on going. And then the next day we get paid or as in a, a customer pays us who's been late with an invoice, but we thought that we weren't going to make the payroll. And then we do. There are moments like that all the time. And then I'm trying to remember this one, this Mark Twain quote. Oh, every morning, this is the one when you're not sure. You wake up in the morning and I think it's today is the first day of the rest of your life. Every day. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I use that. I think about that all the time. That's when I wake up and I go, yep, because you can always change a bad day from the day before to a good day the next day. How can we empower more women to become leaders? I mean, we've talked about quotas. I do think it's just going to be through story. Uh, well, for me, that the best way is stories and sharing those stories and showing females what's possible from a very early age. Mm. I mean, when I reflect back when I was at school, my limit, my limited knowledge of what jobs existed in the world was very narrow, uh, and and now. Um, I think there's opportunities for more females to be going in and demonstrating what's possible there and I think we need to share our stories as much as possible and not just from female groups. So this is uh, these kinds of things are great but I would love for females to be sharing their stories to everybody because it's not just about showing females what's possible, it's showing men also what's possible. So I, I think that's that's the best way, that's the best approach. Yeah. More mo More movies about women and leadership. Yeah. And their stories. Superheroes. Yeah, yeah. Well, just everything. It's about what you see. It's visibility. Yeah. Because if you think back, if I'm thinking back to my childhood, I didn't know that there was anything that wasn't possible for females. I just, I didn't think there was a difference. And um, I had the same conversation with my son, who is at secondary school, and he's in an engineering group, and there's only one or two, I think, females in his engineering class. I said, do you know that women don't get paid as much as men to do the same job? And he just couldn't believe it. He'd, that he had a big debate with the whole class about it so there are still those things happening but all we've got to do is change that and um, not all we need to change that but by showing more females doing more things and making that visible to the world then I think that that's the example. What do you think that men can do to encourage that? I think that some of the challenges with female historical challenges is about the females always being the person, the ones to stay at home. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is where businesses can get on board with giving parental leave versus mm -hmm. just um, maternity leave and and encouraging that to happen and, in fact, going the other way so that it shows that women can be the ones to, to go to work and men can stay at home if they want to or men and women or men and men and women and women and whatever there is. It needs to be flattened out. Yeah. Um, so that that can happen, so that we can see that men can, we can both do both roles. We can all do yeah. all the roles. I totally agree on that. It's not just a woman's job to take care of kids. They can stay at home. 
um, if they want to. And I think that that's uh, an opportunity. So that's an, that's something that we could start to see a shift in and businesses supporting that proactively. I know, for example, in Sweden, um, where I come from, that you, if you share a parent leave um, equal between um, the parents, you actually get a bonus from the government. So they are highly supportive of um, equality when it comes to bringing up a a child. That's so amazing. That kind of thing is really going to make a systemic change and shift to the way that there's these gender norms around who does what in the workplace at home. That's amazing. Yes, please bring that to New Zealand. <laughs> We could take a leaf out of that book for sure. Um, and then I think that um, it's, it comes to that inclusion piece. You know, we want to, we've gone into an environment where it's a predominantly male board, for example, and then a new female's coming in there. What are the kind of things that you can, you can do and behaviours that we can help champion that will mean that um, there's inclusion so that more women want to come in. What does leadership mean to you? I think there are two sides to leadership and one side is the, the leading by example and being the person that people can follow and aspire to be and that might be that you are a champion in something. I think there's the other part of people want to follow leaders mm -hmm. and so how do you create an environment where people want to follow you and that environment and that leadership style that you might demonstrate isn't just about telling people what to do, mm -hmm. it's about showing them the way and And I feel that my preference for leadership is to help lift other people up more than myself. I don't like the limelight at all. I, I, I love seeing the people that are in our team um, do better than they thought was possible. That's, that's what I love. That's what I get a kick out. That's where my, that's, that's where my joy comes from. How do you balance that? And especially if you have a lot of stuff working remotely and you do a lot of traveling as well. Look, I share a lot about what I'm doing and I'm honest about my feelings about, you know, this is hard. For example, when I go on my trips uh, to the US, um, I this is a typical Kiwi thing. We If we're going to go somewhere and spend money on that, then we jam it full of so many meetings that you don't get any rest at all because you want to make the most of your time there. And so I, and I'm leaving my family over and over again and the workplace. And so sometimes when I was leaving, I would be quite nervous and scared and a bit sad. Um, and so then the, what the team have started doing, which is amazing, is when I'm leaving, because it's always during work hours, they start a slow clap and then they start cheering for me as I walk out of the room. And I, they did that because they knew that I was feeling bad and I'm leaving you and I'm going over here and I'm a bit scared because I'm one tiny person going into the giant USA to try and get people to want to buy weirdly. It's quite a daunting prospect. And so they know how I'm feeling. Um, but equally, I'm, I'm the person, I want to show them that I can do it and I want to deliver. So I create an environment of trust. Um, we always are honest and open about where the business is at, um, where we're heading, what our runway is, don't hide anything, don't keep secrets, give everyone the opportunity to, ha to have a, a view on what's going on in the organisation, absolutely. What is success to you? Oh, God, that's changed a lot. So five years ago, I thought I wanted to make tons of money. I still would love that to happen, but that's kind of a byproduct of what I think <laughs> I'm going to, I really want what I think success is. I think success uh, for me is... Um, 
living a happy, healthy, fulfilled life. Mm. And how, what that looks like at the moment is that um, I'm part of a team creating a business that we're selling to the rest of the world and I'm looking after myself from a health perspective and I have wonderful relationships in my life and that's that's what that looks like for me now. When I was 30, it was something different. <laughs> it was to get lots of houses and nice cars and so on. You know, that shifts all the time what success looks like. Yeah, yeah and I'm sure it'll shift again. What's your best career advice to a woman to a woman that just starting their career? Yeah, if they're just starting out, I would say, and, and, and you've got a job or you're going for a job or you know what job you're going for, always have a side gig. So what I mean by that is it's, it could be a hobby, but it's something else that you're doing just for yourself. That might be a small business. It could be something like that that isn't just about the work. Don't put all of your energy into only one thing. That would be my number one piece of advice. That's some great advice. So what if you if you've already been in the industry for a while or you've been working for for quite a while and you might need to take the next step up or, you know, you kind of stop where you, you currently are, what advice would you give to that person? It depends on whether you want to change or stay doing what you're doing or get better at what you're doing. But my recommendation, which is why I love the gig economy, is change what you're doing all the time. Um, keep these interests going because the best skill that you can have is, the, is a sort of multidisciplinary skill. So learning to be really razor sharp and awesome at one thing is great. But because um, the workplace is changing so much and the way that work is conducted and the tools that we use change all the time, it's dangerous to just do that. So if you have the opportunity to change careers, do it. If you get have the opportunity to, to go into a team, get seconded into a team for six months, do it. Do what you can to keep expanding your horizons and your skill set. Do you think it's important with goals? And what do they mean to you? And how do you, how do you set goals? Yeah, I think you need to have goals all the time because sometimes you might not feel like you're moving. Uh... And I've, I've got lots of different ways of looking at goals. I think it's important to have not very many at a time, but that they should be in more than one area. So you might have a financial goal, you might have a health goal, you might have a business goal, and um, break those down into small achievable OKRs or KPIs, whatever, mm. or metrics. <laughs> I measure everything and I love spreadsheets. So, um, But always be working on something like that. Have three. I like three, but you can have five, but I like three. So we're down to the last question. Can't believe it. It's been so good talking to you. Um, but the last question I have for you is, um, what advice would you uh, give to a man being in a manager position to improve equality on their workplace? Make it a um, an on-purpose thing. <laughs> Make a decision that you are going to shift the needle in your team and your work behaviours or the work practices of your team that are going to encourage there to be more diversity, but actually make it a metric or a goal that you're going to change. What I love seeing is organisations that realise that there is a challenge and then them publishing their statistics as they improve that. If you've got 10% um, of a minority group and you shift that to 20%, that's amazing. Not hitting 50% straight away doesn't need to be the first goal. Because what people love to see is that you're trying and that you're making a difference, however small that is, because every inch makes a difference. Great, Dale. Thank you so much for, for taking your time and doing this. I know you're extremely busy at the moment, and 
it's been an honor having you here and listening to your story and hearing you sharing your advice um, and I think this is a really good episode leading up to a new year and I know a lot of people probably have that on their agenda to to have a new start for the new year so thank you so much it's been very inspiring great thank you so much super fun Thank you for listening to Girl Power Pod. My name is Suzanne Axelson. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe and please give it a five-star rating. You can also follow Girl Power Pod on Instagram. It would really mean a lot to me to hear your thoughts on today's episode. So please email girlpowerpod at gmail.com. I would love to get your feedback and I respond to every email. In the next episode of Girl Power Pod, I meet up with Delvin Stewart, founder of Woman Fund. This will be an episode loaded with girl power in the most inspirational way. Make sure to not miss out. <laughs>